Welcome to the Fellows and Residents Audio Corner. My name is Arun George. I'm an anesthesiology resident at Allegheny General Hospital at Pittsburgh. On behalf of the Education Committee of the Society of Neuroscience in Anesthesiology and Critical Care, let us extend a warm welcome to Dr. Shobhana Rajan, who will be talking to us today about multimodal analgesia for spine surgeries. Dr. Shobhana Rajan is an associate professor at UT Health Science Center at Houston. She's the vice chair for the ICPNT and a board director at SNAC. She's a passionate educator and was awarded the SNAC Teacher of the Year Lifetime Educator Award in 2020. Dr. Rajan is also actively involved in research in addition to her teaching and clinical commitments. She has multiple publications and book chapters. And I must also highlight that she has two articles published in Anesthesiology and the Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology on today's topic, Multimodal Analgesia for Spine Surgeries. Welcome, Dr. Rajan. Thank you for that kind introduction, Dr. George. It's really an honor to be here. Thank you. Uh, we're happy to have you here as well. We know that multimodal analgesia is a simultaneous use of multiple analgesic medication that work in a synergistic manner. Dr. Rajan, why is it important to have an opioid-sparing multimodal analgesic regimen for spine surgery? I agree that this is a really an important and an all-encompassing question. Patients undergoing spine fusion surgery are at risk for severe and intense post-operative pain, and treatment for us as physicians remains a challenge. Now, the consequence of inadequately treated pain is progression to chronic pain, and this could then lead to these patients becoming persistent opioid users, which is what we are all trying to fight against, and this obviously contributes to the opioid epidemic. Now, while opioids have remained the mainstay for the treatment of post-operative pain, in order to prevent the opioid-related adverse effects and somewhat decrease the dose and to optimize recovery in the post-operative period, there's a growing interest in multimodal analgesic regimens as an essential com component of the enhanced recovery pathways after spine surgery. But again, when you think about this, this is not just a simple concept. We have to remember that spine surgeries can, can range from like a simple single level to multi-level complex surgeries with extensive blood loss. And they can range from minimally invasive options with like a less than a centimeter a skin incision with the minimally invasive options to long incisions with pedicle screws and interbody fusions. Some patients may already be on heavy opioids preoperatively, necessitating its continuance in the intraoperative period. So the plan may have to have some uh, variation when these kind of patients are involved. And then you have to think about those patients with frailty, the elderly, those with heart and lung conditions, and all, which all put them at an increased risk for respiratory depression. And again, we have to have some caution about various medications. Thank you. Yeah, those were some uh, really important yeah. points to uh, consider for opioid sparing multimodal uh, analgesic regimen for spine surgeries. Now, uh, what are some opioid sparing alternatives currently available for spine surgery? Sure, this is also a very broad question, but I think I'd be able to articulate this answer by referring to the narrative review that we had published in the Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology in January of uh, 2022. And this was titled Opioid Alternatives in Spine Surgery. We had actually categorized the alternatives into, into five groups, and they are preemptive analgesia, intraoperative intravenous adjuvants, 
neuraxial block, regional blocks, and local infiltration. Now, under preemptive analogies here, you can think of those drugs such as the gabapentinoids, which of course have undergone a lot of uh, study claiming efficacy, but has recently been criticized as not being as effective or optimal. The other preemptive analgesics are potentially acetaminophen and NSAIDs, which are being commonly used. Intravenous opioid alt alternatives include the NMDA antagonist ketamine, methadone, magnesium, and other drugs like lidocaine infusions, dexmedetomidine. Under the neuraxial blocks, you, you obviously include the spinal and epidural analgesia. And for regional blocks, erectospinal block is extremely popular and local infiltration of the wound is the last category. Thank you very much for going through all those options available to us. Now, in your clinical experience, uh, which preemptive analgesic medication or medications would you suggest prior to uh, spine surgery? So in the past, we've been using the gabapentinoids because a number of studies, as I had told you, claimed that they are superior and they reduce the amount of opioids used in the postoperative period. And gabapentin and pregabalin were the commonly used drugs. But there has been a recent meta-analysis uh, published in the Journal of Anesthesiology, which says that these drugs do not produce a clinically meaningful difference in postoperative pain, and in fact, could result in harm, like the adverse effects such as dizziness and contribution to respiratory depression is definitely an unwanted thing. And so after this publication, many hospitals have actually dropped the use of gabapentinoids in their ERAS protocols for preemptive analgesia. Considering the other two drugs, basically the NSAIDs and acetaminophen, NSAIDs, especially the COX-2 inhibitors, which have more efficacy and less side effects as compared to the COX-1 inhibitors, have shown great promise to be opioid sparing and are being used commonly. Um, and uh, they have had superior pain scores in the post-operative period. Uh, in my experience, I've used uh, selic uh, cox quite a bit, and it does seem to be pretty effective. It's the same with the oral acetaminophen in the preoperative period. Uh, although you could use intravenous acetaminophen, using oral acetaminophen is easier and probably less expensive. And so many uh, protocols uh, use a combination of acetaminophen with NSAIDs. But one thing you have to remember that acetaminophen, whether oral or IV, is going to have only a moderate impact and no amount of wishing can actually change acetaminophen to a drug like hydromorphone, which is highly efficacious. Thank you for sharing your experience, Dr. Rajan. The uh, use of ketamine intraoperatively has different views. What is your experience and suggestion? Well, ketamine, I would say, has uh, been a really trendy drug, particularly in the um, uh, uh, younger group of anesthesiologists at present. And it has, this is because it has been the focus of multiple studies uh, because of its NMDA antagonist effect, which has put this drug in a favorable light. Uh, while studies um, are somewhat conflicting, however, regarding its efficacy. Uh, in uh, one of the studies that I was part of, which was titled Multimodal Analgesia for Spine Surgery, published in Anesthesiology, we found that the use of ketamine infusion along with lidocaine infusion intraoperatively did not improve pain scores or opioid usage in the postoperative period, nor did it make a difference in quality of recovery in three months. 
However, um, another study, which was again very recent, published in anesthesiology, showed that ketamine boosted the effect of methadone in spine surgery. And therefore, uh, I think ketamine is still um, very popular, particularly in those patients who are already on preoperative opioids. And so if uh, you have a chronic pain patient, I think uh, the role of uh, ketamine is pretty established either as an infusion or even as a bolus if you are not able to use an infusion pump. Got it. Now, uh, going on to another drug, dexmedetomidine has gained a lot of popularity in uh, neuroanesthesia recently. Uh, what is its role as an opioid sparing analgesic in spine surgeries? Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, no uh, podcast would be complete without touching about dexmedetomidine, which is also been extremely popular in uh, our neuro in our neurosurgical uh, group. Uh, as far as spine surgery goes, there have been studies which have said that it reduces the intraoperative opioid consumption and at the same time allows uh, neuromonitoring. So definitely uh, advantageous. However, there were no differences in pain at 24 hours post-op. So it appears that it just is useful to reduce some amount of intraoperative opioids. Now, does it really make a difference in long-term outcome or even in the immediate post-operative period? That is pretty questionable and there's no evidence to use it. Um, and another important thing to remember is there was this recent study called the Post-Operative Opioid-Free Anesthesia Trial, which compared dexmedetomidine and remifentanil in non-cardiac surgery, but had to be stopped prematurely due to significant bradycardia and hypotension that was observed in these patients. And whenever a randomized control trial is stopped prematurely, it's pretty frightening because that means the complications are severe and it's just not a good idea to, you know, incorporate this in your regimens. So um, obviously the intraoperative infusion of dexmedetomidine is not recommended due to limited procedure specific evidence. Got it. Now, uh, coming on to another drug, uh, which I'd like to talk about uh, with you is methadone, which seems to be really popular in complex spine surgeries. Uh, what is your opinion regarding this? Yeah, methadone, I am really excited about, you know, wanting to try this drug out more in spine surgery. It does seem to have an emerging role. Uh, it has been aptly described as an opioid sparing opioid analgesic. Now, the main advantage with methadone, it has a long elimination half-life with a single dose of like 20 milligram intravenously in the um, intraoperative period being effective for up to 24 to 36 hours. Now, if you want a longer duration, obviously higher doses have a longer duration. There was a study performed by Murphy et al. recently, and uh, they found that methadone at the dose of 0.2 milligram per kg compared with hydromorphone 2 milligram uh, for spinal fusion cases resulted in lower pain intensity one and three months after the surgical procedure, as well as decreased need for opioid analgesics after three months. There was another study by Goshak et al. who also compared methadone with sufentanil, and they also found the same thing. They said that post-operative opioid requirement was reduced by 50%, and same with pain scores reduction by 50%. However, one thing, uh, while I think methadone has been proven to be very efficacious, the safety still remains a concern. 
There's a report by Dunn et al. who looked at um, a moderate respiratory depression defined as eight or less breaths per minute. And they said that it can occur in um, a few patients who have been on just one time methadone dose. And therefore they uh, say that you need to have some caution while you use these drugs or at least you know, keep them in a monitored uh, facility. So uh, till we have more uh, studies, currently, again, methadone is uh, not recommended as a standard drug in all our uh, ERAS protocols in the hospitals. Yeah, that's some uh, really interesting data about uh, methadone. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it in the future. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Rajan, can you describe the uh, efficacy of uh, patient-controlled epidural analgesia in uh, uh, in spine surgeries. And while uh, along with that question, I'd also like to add uh, if you could touch upon the local anesthetic infiltration for spine surgeries as well. Sure. This um, um, patient-controlled epidural analgesia is definitely an inter interesting concept, especially for spine surgeries, isn't it? So um, uh, epidural catheters can sometimes be placed by the spine surgeons themselves at the end of the procedure. And then in the post-operative period, one could run dilute local anesthetic infusions or maybe even add some fentanyl and that might improve the quality of analgesia. Could be very, very efficacious, but, uh, but then that does not mean it is not without its own side effects, such as hypotension and bradycardia, as we all know, can happen with epidural anesthetics. And uh, you also need to give more fluids and more pressors. And so it, again, the patient needs to be monitored and um, you have to run really dilute local anesthetics if you do not, if you want the patient to try to ambulate and for physical and like rehabilitation in the immediate post-op. And I guess it cannot be, it cannot remain forever. Obviously you have to remo remove it uh, within a day or two. So these are things to consider when you play, when an epidural analgesia is used. Uh, wound infiltration has also been used maybe for the really tiny incisions, but not really for the longer ones. And again, li uh, liposomal bupovicane has been, um, you know, investigated and have not really shown superior outcomes in spine surgery patients. I see. And uh, regarding, uh, uh, coming on to another nerve block regarding erector spinae nerve blocks, uh, what is the uh, role of erector spinae uh, in your experience in spine surgeries? Yeah, again, a very good question. And I think our regional anesthesia colleagues are uh, extremely uh, happy to be using erector spinae blocks, not only in spine surgeries, but also in, uh, in all the other surgeries needing these fascial plane blocks. Now, as far as spine surgery goes, it has shown improved patient comfort and satisfaction, but again, limited spe uh, procedure-specific evidence. So currently, it is not a standard, but maybe in the future, this could be something that needs to be explored. Got it. Thank you very much. Dr. Rajan, I have one last question for you today, and that is, uh, what is the role of opioid-free anesthesia in spine surgery? You have uh, brought up a question, which is indeed a topic of much debate. Well, uh, when we consider pain management in spine surgery, there's always this controversy. Should I use opioids? Should I use opioid alternatives? Or should I use opioid-free options? You know, there have been a lot of uh, push towards using opioid-free options. 
this is like saying, do we choose the skiller or the shaft is actually these two are the Greek sea monsters and both of them are, it's difficult to turn to, you know, either of them. Well, much of the peer-reviewed research has shown that there is no evidence that intraoperative opioid-free analgesia has any benefit above and beyond opioid-sparing anesthesia, which means that uh, you don't use the full doses of opioids because of all the opioid-related adverse effects, but you add you know, alternatives like we talked about in order to reduce the dose of opioids without actually cutting away opioids because opioids do still in this era seem to be the most efficacious for the intense pain that patients undergo after spine surgery. At the same time, uh, when you use multiple drugs, one cannot really ignore the harm caused by polypharmacy. So there is a clear recall to think about opioid-free anesthesia versus opioid-minimized multimodal analgesia, which potentially I think could offer hope to reduce the perioperative use, use of opioids and improve uh, patient outcomes uh, in three months and six months and prevent them from becoming persistent opioid users, which is like, I think, the dream of many of us as neuroanesthesiologists. Uh, yes, Dr. Rajan, I, I agree that, uh, you know, with all the, uh, with the sufficient pain management, uh, uh, you know, this can lead to favorable outcomes with uh, better mobility, quicker recovery, uh, lower risks of complications, and also greater patient satisfaction. And uh, multimodal analgesia, no doubt, helps us achieve this uh, uh, in, in a complex surgery like spine surgeries. Uh, Dr. Rajan, thank you very much for joining me today uh, to talk about uh, this interesting topic of multimodal analgesia for spine surgeries. I appreciate your time and uh, your experience and knowledge. Thank you so much again, Dr. George. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs>